Welcome to In Conversation, a series of dialogues with leading authors and speakers in the field of spirituality and healing. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound, a gathering place of the world's wisdom traditions since 1970. Welcome everybody to the Banyan Books podcast. My name is Ross McKeechee and today I'm in conversation with Lori Deshar and I'm really excited to have her here. Thanks for joining us, Lori. Now oh, it's really nice to be here. It's great to be with you, Ross. And uh, before we get into Lori's formal introduction, I'll just make a few announcements. First off, uh, though we have people joining us from all around the world online, uh, the physical location of Banyan Books, which is at 4th and Dunbar in Vancouver and Kitsilano, is on the traditional unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, which includes the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. So just want to make that acknowledgement and thank them for having us on their land. Also letting everybody know Banyan Books is open for business every day of the week. And if you haven't been into the store, please go and check it out. It's Banyan's 50th anniversary year this year, which is really amazing. 50 years uh, since 1970, Canada's leading spiritual and healing resource and uh, an independent bookstore that's been able to survive through the ups and downs. So that's an amazing feat. Um, also letting everybody know that Lori's three books are available for sale at Banyan. Her, her latest one, The Alchemy of Inner Work, will be out in print um, in January. Uh, her book, Kigo, is already available. That came out in September. And her master classic, uh, Five Spirits, is also available and has been for some time now. I'm sure a lot of people uh, are familiar with that book. Okay, Lori's formal introduction. Um, <laughs> Here I am, Ron. She is, all right. So good to have you. So Lori Eve Deshar is an acupuncturist, an author, alchemical healer, a mentor, a poetic scholar. She's a dream tender. Lori is an artisan of transformation. She has worked for over three decades to integrate the principles and practices of Chinese medicine with Western depth psychology. She utilizes wisdom and insights from Jungian, Gestalt, and focusing psychotherapy, and integrates this with Chinese medicine and Taoist philosophy and practice. Lori skillfully and poetically integrates this work into a unique approach that she calls alchemical healing. Alchemical healing is a therapeutic modality directly focused on the psycho-spiritual and soul issues of our time. This unique approach to the practice of traditional Chinese medicine emerges from her commitment to discovering a healthier and more integrated way for herself and other people to inhabit our planet. Lori's background, education, a master's degree in acupuncture from the traditional acupuncture institute. She also has training in archetypal psychology, gestalt, and focusing oriented psychotherapy. After having taught at Tri-State College of Acupuncture for 15 years, Lori developed a program called the Alchemical Healing Mentorship, which she still runs today. And this mentorship serves 
as a training program, a learning collaborative and alchemical laboratory. I like that term for an ever growing international brigade of healthcare pr practitioners and committed explorers of healing and consciousness transformation. Beautiful. As I mentioned before, Lori's the author of three books, her master classic, well-known now, Five Spirits, Alchemical Acupuncture for Psychological and Spiritual Healing. That came out in 2006. Next, this one was released September this year, 2020. It's called Kigo, Exploring the Spiritual Essence of Acupuncture Points Through the Changing Seasons. And her next book coming out in January, that's the one that you can pre-order for a 15% discount, is called The Alchemy of Inner Work, A Guide for Turning Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being. It's a beautiful book. That book was written in collaboration with her husband, Benjamin Fox. Lori and Benjamin also co-founded a healing and learning collaborative in 2012. That's called a new possibility, you can check out their website, anewpossibility.com. And Lori is now mentoring various practitioners while also integrating the vision of her and Benjamin's work into a wide array of online courses that will facilitate conversation and activism around critical issues related to personal and planetary healing. I got a chance to chat briefly with Lori on Friday leading up to this. That was really sweet. And it became, it was really clear to me where her passion lies. That's in driving out outer change in the world through focusing on inner work, personal inner work, which she calls alchemical healing. So everybody, please join me in welcoming Lori Deschard. Lori, thank you again for being here. Wow, Ross, thank you so much really it's lovely to be here with you and to talk about the things that I really do care about so deeply and um it's always fun to hear yourself described and talked about I'm like, <laughs> that really me and the three decades part now it's like almost actually closer to three and a half or four and I'm like wow yeah that's right you know and I just try and take it all in but yeah. thank you thank you for that introduction oh you're welcome and you know um a lot of people around the banding community are familiar with your work especially your first book five spirits and so there was a lot of kind of excitement about having you on the show okay. um, so thank you excited to be here that's great and and where are you joining us from today i'm actually in a little town called nyack um which is about 40 minutes north of Manhattan on the Hudson River. And I'm sitting, this is actually my clinical office where I've been treating people for, well, this office, 15 years. It's a little yellow room with a lot of magic happens in here. And that's a nice place for me to be chatting with you from. Oh, beautiful. That's where it all happens. Okay. Yeah. It's one so, of the places it all happens. Now, actually, we say, where do you where do you practice? And I'm like, well, I practice in Nyack and I practice in a little town in Maine when I'm there. And I'm practicing virtually all over the world now at this point. I think it's just a whole different feeling to be able to um, be in real contact with people all over without even always having to jump on a plane. 
different worlds in six months. Yeah. So are you actually working with, with um, cl private clients and patients via Zoom now as well? A lot. Oh, yeah. A great deal. I, I work with people. I do a lot of supervision of practitioners, as you said, mentoring, mentoring groups. And through our website, we have courses and monthly meetups. And um, so all of that's virtual at this point. And I do also work with people virtually. Of course, you can't use needles, but later in our conversation, we'll talk about some of the other options about moving chi that are available, whether you're in person or virtual or in a group or on your own. Hmm. I'm looking forward to that for sure. If I may, I, I'd like to learn a little bit about your, your background, your formative years, where you come from and how you came to the works. So can you tell us a little bit about your beginnings? Where, where were you born? Oh, well, I was, I'm a New Yorker. Okay. okay. I, I come from that sort of, um, my family's from Eastern Europe. Um, let's see, my, I'm actually, um, my dad came from France, um, sort of um, refugees, immigrants coming to America. I'm first generation on that, in that line. Um, I was born in New York. And I grew up here, um, but I've we've been living up on a little town in the coast of Maine for part of the time for probably the past 20 years. So I'm up there part time and down here and then wherever else I'm supposed to be show up there. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. And so what, what were your what were your parents like growing up and what were you know, what was your family situation? Did you have siblings? Mm -hmm. Well, I do, I did have two brothers um, who are much older than me and wonderful, great to have brothers. You know, it's great to be the youngest girl in a family with two big brothers. That was a real plus. Um, but I think the big influence for me, I mean, actually you asked that question, was um, that my family, my father and um, my uncle, were these sort of renegade artists, mystics, a kind of a tradition of mm, intellectual European Jews, I would say, that had a big influence on how I saw the world. And I'm really grateful for it. Art and mysticism. Um, my uncle was a translator of theosophical texts and he was the person who taught me to meditate when I was nine or 10, I think. He said, I remember it. I remember he was, he was visiting us and he was sitting in the living room. And he said, um, I'm gonna teach you how to get quiet. Mm -hmm. I was 10. Mm -hmm. I loved him so much. And he, and he sat there and he said, all you have to do is um, just sit quietly and ask yourself, who am I? And we sat together and we just asked that question. And I guess in a way, I've probably been asking that question ever since really, Ross. I think I really do credit my uncle, his name was Paul. And um, I credit him with being my first teacher actually have written about that. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. 
Yeah, I mean, there was obviously like for everybody, a lot of um, generational trauma. There were a lot of issues. It wasn't an idyllic, perfect childhood by any means. I don't know if those exist, but, but having that early exposure to um, Buddhism and beauty and art and uh, the liberation of ideas that's been a big influence in how I've approached my whole life. Okay. And poetry has played a big part in your life as well, no? Yes, I started writing same time, around the same time. Everything happened when I was 10. Okay, that was a, that was a big year for you. I started writing poetry. I've always been painting and, you know, I think actually these questions are leading to the really central question of why I've written the books, um, why we started a new possibility, the kind of why of all of it yes. did really start back then. Uh -huh. You know, which now is oh, nearly um, 60 years ago, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, I'd say the understanding that dawned on me at that time that the way people approached or were approaching the world was very partial. Yes. Yeah, you talk about that a lot in your work about in the in the modern Western world, how we everything is compartmentalized, the body and the mind are split and everything's split up into segments and there's never a holistic integrated outlook. Yes. So this kind of realizing really early on that the the natural world and our bodies, I was um, I grew up kind of dancing and being in the woods and that those places where there was some kind of uh, wisdom or spirit or you could go there and learn things. Mm -hmm. And I saw, I was, you know, alive at the time where so much of Western culture was in a tremendous growth spurt and the woods where I grew up were being built over and the pond where I skated was being filled in. And really early that became a, a heartbreak for me. That people didn't seem to be understanding that there was a kind of magical soul presence everywhere in the natural world. And um, as a young person, I mean, I literally was, it was a painful um, realization for me to see that this was happening and, and I couldn't seem to stop it. Um, and that desire to bring a different kind of awareness to how people were interacting with the natural world, but with themselves, with their own bodies and with each other, you know, that began when I was really young and just kept growing, just kept growing. Yes. And eventually brought you to acupuncture, Chinese medicine, Taoism. How did, how did you come upon that work? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there was a little skip there because from the time when I was 10 that we're talking about um, what increased through my teens. And I think for a lot of people, 
in, in my age, living through the 60s and early 70s, um, turned into a kind of, a, I have to say, a kind of simmering rage. Right. And in my um, early 20s, I was um, really became a ve very engaged environmental and, and feminist activist. And, um, you know, like now I was, it was thinking about this today that, you know, in my twenties, I remember going down to DC with a bunch of women and, you know, our, our action was that we brought these big baskets, kind of like the flowers I have behind me, you know, but we filled these baskets with flowers. And I wrote, we had poetry broadsides. This is really, I was like 23, 24. Mm -hmm. And we went down to the Pentagon and I have old pictures of us, this bunch of hippie women, like in our costumes. And we put these flowers, baskets of flowers and poetry on the steps of the Pentagon. I kid you not. Like now, I think of we literally went up the steps, left the baskets and went and did our little, you know, anti-nuclear peace brigade in Washington. But, you know, being that action, which one could never even do now, um, but it was an action of trying to bring this awareness of nature and that we can be different kinds of humans, that our orientation can be different. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of an in-between time for me. And at the same time, Ross, right around the early 70s, was actually when Chinese medicine was starting to come to America. Right, okay. And you know what a lot of people don't know now, but at the time in the early 70s, where it really was brought over was through radical activists. I mean, people who viewed themselves as communists or serious change makers in the world, the Students for Democratic Society, the Black Panthers, the Young Lords Party, they were from Puerto Rico. These young people were going to China. Really? Okay. And some of them were people I knew. I actually knew some of the people in the Young Lords. I knew people who were engaged in more um, radical activism. I didn't go to China at that time, but I knew that the idea was, oh, here's a medicine, this barefoot doctor medicine from China that could, in, a, in an economically feasible way, treat thousands and thousands of people. It was a complete departure from Western medicine. And it was meant to be a medicine of the people. That was the early idea. So when they started, the, say, the Lincoln Detox Center in Harlem in the early 70s, um, and, and there's a guy, Dr. Matula Shakur, who's currently incarcerated. He was an MD who started that detox center. So Chinese medicine was a radical, was a, it was a radical new possibility at the time. And the detox center up in, in the South Bronx was treating hundreds and hundreds of addicts successfully. 
And that was the beginning of Chinese medicine in America. Wow, I did not know that. That's amazing. <laughs> People don't know that. So one of the things that I recall from, um, I'm sure you mentioned it in both Kigo and Five Spirits, is the history of Chinese medicine, what is now known as TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, and the evolution of that in China, which through Mao's regime, the communist regime, and how that was distilled into a particular package. And that was what ended up coming to North America. Exactly. So what is the distinction between TCM and the ancient traditional Chinese medicine? Right. So, so this is where it gets kind of interesting and tricky because of course these first, this first wave in the seventies of these radicals going to China and getting taught a kind of communist brand of the medicine, which was already a recycled brand. First Mao had called Chinese medicine and acupuncture a dung heap of ignorance. That was Mao's first take on it. And they banned it. I mean, the really great doctors who were still alive in the early days of Mao Zedong were imprisoned, even sent to work camps. So we lost so much there. But then he realized, you know, in the 60s, wait a minute, there's more here. This is actually a powerful medicine that could be available, readily available. And they developed the barefoot doctor system, which is the basis of a lot of what got brought here. It was a very, um, they, they sort of took out all the spirit and the soul components and certainly in communist China, people weren't supposed to have any psychological issues. Or if as long as you were working, you were okay, you know. So this is the medicine that originally got brought here. And while it was radical and powerful, it was kind of like you got this truncated limb of an ancient, tremendously powerful ancient tree. Hmm. My excitement at the time about the medicine grew out of that radical activism idea, but I soon began as I, when I actually got treated myself later in um, the late seventies, I began to understand that there was a whole lot more to the medicine. Yeah, so that was, you know, the, the whole turning point in there, I know I'm, rambling a bit with this. Oh, no, not at all, not at all. Good. I'm so tall. when I first got treated in 78, that was kind of the later part of that time of my, my rage period, my radical rage period. Mm -hmm. And the first treatment I ever had was um, with um, Carol Ziegler. She'd been studied in England and I'm eternally grateful to her. She was my first practitioner. And she, um, she had studied with J.R. Worsley, which was, he had been looking at the more psychological aspects of the medicine, as opposed to this idea of a more economic, radical, uh, barefoot doctor, treat cold, treat the basics. J.R. Worsley was like, wait a minute, there's a whole psycho-spiritual component here. So European five element was a whole other stream that came in at that time. 
So where we were was my first acupuncture needle. Right. With my first pra practitioner. And, um, and the thing that she said to me, which I'll never forget, because I walked into her office and she said, you're very, very angry. And I was like, I don't know, I don't feel so angry. And then I started to realize that for the past 10 years, I'd kind of been banging my head against a wall mm -hmm. in trying to create change on the outside. And that really was a turning point for me. The first point that she ever, um, that I ever had needled was on the liver meridian. And it was, um, it was a point, it's called um, supreme rushing. So looking at the spirit of that point, which is what I do now, supreme rushing is a point that opens up, it liberates stuck chi. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I realized the headaches that I've been having, the stress that I've been having, the, the feelings of frustration that I've been having, while I still believed in everything that I previously believed in, that we need to make change, that we need to shift consciousness, that we need to come into an awareness of the earth as a sacred domain, but I wasn't going to get there by fighting so hard. Okay. This is a this is a wonderful thing, and I know this is really the foundation of a, a lot of your work. Is how do we integrate and marry these two seeming opposites of outward change and inner work, and how do they uplift each other? Exactly, Ross. And I mean, even just hearing you say that, I have I have a lot of emotion about that. Hmm. I have a lot of passion about that. I mean, it's kept me going, and you know. It was re really hard to get my first book published. And it's really, you know, there's a lot of resistance to this idea in the world. You know, it's like people want to know, well, how do you fix it fast? Or, you know, how do I feel better in a second? And, you know, what I, what I think has become clear to me is that change takes time and it takes effort and it takes real commitment to what I finally realized is inner work. And that's not easy stuff. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like a, such a big tripping point for, for people that are more focused on activism than inner work or people that are focused too much on inner work and not enough on taking action. Exactly. Either, either I'm uh, active, but I may be creating more ripples of disharmony through the way I'm approaching it because I haven't done enough inner work, or I'm too complacent because I'm so, oh, I'm, I'm in the Tao, or I'm, you know, I'm so inward focused, I'm just meditating all the time, but I'm not really doing anything to help. And what you just said there is a kind of basic principle of Chinese medicine which is that there needs to be an, a flow of qi between what we would say the outer or using the, the Taoist terms, um, outer alchemy, wei dan, and inner alchemy, nei dan. Wow. And they need to be in flow because if they're not, you're gonna get stagnation. And also, as you said, our actions, if, if they're not rooted in an inner cultivation, 
most likely are going to create more cycles of suffering. And all the wisdom traditions really tell us that. Right, right. Yeah. So that was the turning point for me. And I was, um, my, I was about 30 at the time. And soon after that, I heard that there was a program starting because I, I didn't know where I could learn this medicine, but I knew I needed to. The poetry of Chinese medicine, the elegance of the medicine, and this sense that I had that there was uh, something in this medicine that could really change people's attitudes towards their own bodies to their, and the word I like to use is bringing the soul back into, into our individual lives and the world. When did you come to first come to writing? Like, was was Five Spirits the first big writing project you ever took on, or did you have? Uh, you told me you wrote poetry since you were young, but how long did it take from conception of Five Spirits to when it actually was mm. published, released? That was a long, long haul. I, I was probably in practice about ten years. Um, and what I found was that I had all these really great patients who wanted to go deep and they wanted to work on their psyches and they wanted to work on, you know, how could their lives be different? And I was, I was referring them to all my psychotherapist friends. And I was like, oh, all these really juicy, great patients, she would start to move and they'd be getting into great stuff and I'd have to refer them. So um, that was, you know, about 10 years in, that was what got me started to look at, um, well, is there a psychology to Chinese medicine? Or, you know, how can I begin to work more deeply with making the change, not just on the chi level, but on the actual level of a person's life. You know, when you feel the chi move with the needle, it's an amazing feeling. Or with a yogi, you, you do yoga, you do yeah. kundalini work. I mean, you do tantra, you know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And the first time you feel that movement on the subtle body level, you're never the same after that. No, no. I mean, and that's in a sense what happened with that first point, supreme rushing for me. It was like, I was lying there and it was like the whole world opened up. You know, my, I could breathe differently. I looked out the window and I saw the colors differently. That's the power of these traditions. But then how do we take that movement that moment and translate it into real change in my life. Yes. On a daily basis. Yes. Which I think brings us to uh, the alchemy of inner work, which is is your latest book. I mean, Kigo and Alchemy, you you must have been working on them simultaneously, or did you finish one and then the other? Because Kigo just came out in September. Right. That was a whole crazy thing, but but um, I'd been working on the alchemy of inner work. Really, I probably started working on that soon after Five Spirits came out. Okay. And again, Five Spirits was a 10-year project. 
yeah. really developed to, to find the psychology at the heart of Chinese medicine and to uncover Wuxian, these five spirits that again, when we talk about what was left out of translation, you know, lost in translation is a great way to talk about what happened with right. Chinese medicine. Right, the Maoist version that came over to the US. Yeah. And the texts that had never been translated and the great doctors and sages who we never heard from because they were lost in the great cultural revolution. Um, so to, to go back in and dig out, you know, and get to the core, that was, you know, there, I, I credit uh, Claude Lahr and Elizabeth Rochat de La Vallée, and I think most practitioners really do know that they, um, Lar was a Jesuit priest who'd been living in China and he was, he's one of our great, um, brought the great gifts of the spiritual tradition by translating these texts and not leaving out the spiritual component. Uh -huh. And I had the opportunity of studying with both of them while I was in uh, school Oh, really? You studied with them directly? Yes, I was really blessed mm -hmm. to have that direct connection with them at that time, at a really formative time. Mm -hmm. And his his way of looking at etymology was is so poetic that, of course, for me, it was like, this is my thing. It's obvious that you, you have a love for etymology and the origins of language and words. Love. Really, in all of your books, you use it so beautifully to op it opens me as a reader, like to understand these words and the way you present it. Well, Claude Lahr and Elizabeth Rochard de la Vallée were my, they were my, that's the great lineage, you know, of the, the sort of, again, their careful, precise French Chinese. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> let's go in there and really tease apart thousands of years of information in these Chinese characters. Um, so that became a way into discovering these other parts of the medicine that had been left out. And that's increased. I think there are other teachers now, other translators who are bringing that aspect of the medicine through. And I feel like that's been my calling as well, to stand for that. Yeah, so this is the inner work component. And the outer work is the activism. Yeah. So can I ask you some questions about the alchemy of inner work? Love that. Okay. Uh, if I can. So this is Lori's latest book, and it's already out in audiobook and uh, ebook, right? And it's also out on, on Audible. But the, um, the hard copy, which I'll encourage everyone to pre-order for 15% discount from Banyan.com, comes out January 2021. And it's co-authored with your husband, Benjamin Fox. Yes. Um, Benjamin wrote this book together. Yeah. Now, how important is Benjamin in, in your work now? It seems like you two are really have this beautiful synergy together. And I got to meet him on Friday and this morning. And it, I, it, you're just lovely together. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So uh, Benjamin and I met 
23 years ago at a retreat. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, a retreat called the Body Sacred. Uh -huh. And really looking at the marriage of spirituality, sexuality, relationships. So that's where we met and our kind of our whole relationship unfolded from there. So that was the starting point, the foundation of what you built. Yeah, it really, it really was. And I was already um, teaching at the time. I was already, at the time I was um, beginning to, the very beginnings of this work. And um, we were in and out of each other's lives very intimately, less intimately for a few years there. And then, um, let's see, about 18 years ago, we started, we taught with uh, Dr. Rudy Valentine at the Esalen Institute. And okay. that's really where a lot of this work was coming to life. Hmm. And um, 15 years ago, Benjamin and I just finally, after a lot of different exploration and different ways of holding our relationship, decided that we were, despite kicking and screaming at times that the universe wanted us to really get down and get with it. So we, we, um, we didn't get married right away, we, but we did start living together. And uh, at that point, Benjamin has a lot of experience in organizing retreats. He's an incredible, incredible community builder yeah. and an amazing, uh -huh. um, ongoing devotion to inner work and the the importance of the the crucial importance of inner work so i've been teaching little classes four or five people studying with me looking at five spirits looking at how to bring psychological somatic psychology into the acupuncture treatment room and Benjamin said, you know, if we work together, I think this thing's going to grow. So what I've found is usually Benjamin, if he has an intuition, he's not an intuitive. He's very practical and very sensate. But when he has an intuition, I'm like, I got to listen to this. Right, right. Because he's not always throwing intuitions out there. So you Not listen. at all. Okay. It's not at all. So when he said that, I was like, oh, that's a whole new thing to start to really build this out into um, a community where a kind of learning community and as you said, an, um, an alchemical laboratory for yeah. practitioners. And then it expanded way beyond acupuncturists. And now we've got people from um, all different professions with doctors and nurses and psychotherapists and massage therapists and artists and business people have been studying with us. And now we're opening it as the alchemy of inner work comes out to anyone who wants to bring this work into their life. That's a wonderful thing. That's a really wonderful thing. And it, you've really kind of taken the concept of the ancient alchemical practitioners and brought it into a very modern accessible context in this book. Um, I'd like to, if I can share a quote that I think sort of gives a good 
idea to people about what is in this book and how to, how it might help them. Before I do, I just want to announce one more time for folks in the audience to keep questions coming in because we are going to do live uh, questions from you. Uh, so if you type it into the Q&A function there, we'll be able to read over those at the end. So any questions, keep them coming. So here's a quote uh, from The Alchemy of Inner Work. The subtitle is A Guide for Turning Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being. So in the book, Laurie says, in keeping with the transformational intent and inquiring attitude of all alchemical traditions, alchemical healing, the alchemy described in this book, works to transform the suffering of our spiritual, emotional, and physical symptoms into meaningful messages that hold the potential, the potential to illuminate the divine purpose of life. The pressing question then, which I hear time and again in my treatment room is, am I living the life I was born to live? How do we know if we're living that life? Where do we, where do we start with that? Oh, that's a great quote, Ross. You pulled something really, really good out of the book. From a, so we're looking at what my understanding of Taoism yeah. from now decades of reading and studying and meditation and what were these great doctors, you know, these artists, intellectual healers of ancient times, what were they trying to get at with this medicine? And what I've come to understand is that the essence of, of this Taoist approach to healing is that health, what health really means, and even if we break down the word health itself, wholeness, the root, holy, um, the root idea of, Health means I'm living into my own wholeness. Uh -huh. Doesn't mean that I have, you know, that I might be the skinniest or the fastest or the richest or the whateverest. It just means Very popular belief these days. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or, you know, the least depressed or whatever. You know, health from this perspective means that I am um. I'm living the seed of my own self. You know, I'm living its blossoming. I'm living its flourishing. It's the best that I possibly can, given the conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so I look a lot, you know, for me, this idea of the acorn with has within it we use the word entelechy, the end point of this beautiful, gigantic oak tree is already in the acorn. Yes. So, you know, who you, Ross Makichi, are meant to be, that was there at the moment of your conception, you know, and when you go deep into the Chinese classics, you see like they're saying that there was a tiny speck of starlight that came down from the Big Dipper, you know, the moment that your mom and dad, you know, 
had that moment and, <laughs> and the egg was, you know, activated. And at that very moment, you know, the seed, the, sp the star seed of you was already there. Yes. And this is called Shen, is it not? Yes, this is called Shen. And this is all there in the classics. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there in the characters. It's there. I feel like they, they left us. I, I, when I was writing Five Spirits, I felt like they were, it was like a, I was following a trail of, of clues and hints and little bits and pieces that were left by these great sages. Mm -hmm. Um, inviting us to open to our own seeing so that we could actually see again. And that's, for me, the essence of health, is that given the conditions, and they're never perfect, and sometimes they're highly imperfect, you know, they're just like an acorn, it falls where it falls. And, but our task is to still become the closest that we can be to our own expression of Tao. And as healers and as collaborators in alchemy, that's what we do for each other is we support that in ourselves and each other. Wonderful. This is what they call living your Tao, is it? Yeah. For me, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Now, um, I, you are going to share a practice with us from the Alchemy of Inner Work, which is great. But before we get to that, um, I wanted to ask you. Oh, yeah. You, so you you really obviously your your background is mainly in this in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, Taoism. But what you've done here is very skillfully, I must say brought in a lot of Western depth psychology. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about um, your experiences with Jungian psychotherapy, with Gestalt, with focusing, and uh, how you started to work it into your practice and, and how you've integrated it in this book. Yeah. So again, at that moment that I mentioned when I was referring all my best patients, out to my friends who were psychotherapists, I said, you know, there's gotta be, a, I don't wanna stop being a, an acupuncturist or a practitioner of Chinese medicine. I love the medicine that I'm trained in, but there's gotta be a way to work with these psycho-spiritual issues, um, still staying true to my own training here. And um, so I started reaching out to discover what Western psychology had to offer. And um, I studied Gestalt, which was a very useful um, looking at the energetics of the body and the emotions, but it wasn't quite it. And then I discovered Jean Genlin's focusing technique, which has had a huge impact on my work. Hmm. because it is a way of accessing somatic wisdom, going into what I call the po-soul, the body-soul, the body, the autonomic processes, and really learning to listen. But for me, the turning point came when I started to really dive into depth psychology 
and particularly Jung's idea of the collective unconscious. Mm. Because what I came to realize there is that there's a depth in all of our unconscious, which is universal. And that allowed me to go back into Chinese medicine, especially with the idea of the archetypes, that there are universal truths about the soul that are, we come into the world already ready mm -hmm. to receive. I love, I love the way that you describe archetypes in the book. And you even describe them saying that the ancients looked at them as living conscious entities of their own with needs and wants and desires how do you know i i've in my personal work i i have tapped into archetypes in that way through traditional yoga and tantra with the different deities now for someone who hasn't um gone into that work deeply how do they how can they understand archetypes and how to tap into those very strong um transpersonal forces yes so you know one of the basically to me traditional chinese medicine in its truest sense is an art it's a medicine of archetypes if we do move chi of course but one of the ways we move chi is through imagery, is through the needles, but also the language and the poetry and the imagery. So, you know, I work often with five element acupuncture and we'll get to that in Kigo, but so five element acupuncture is based on the seasons and the elements and the elements are, I'm just gonna say water, fire, um, water, wood, fire, earth, metal. Yes. Anyone, anyone, anyone of you out there in any continent at any time on this planet, any human, if you put a person in front of a candle flame hmm. or a warm fire on a moonlit night, or you sit behind beside a pond. It's like we all have in us, we are born with a receptivity to these. Um, they are elements, but they are also archetypes. They are primal forms that touch us, that move us, that affect us. I mean, my granddaughter, she's, um, Diane is 17 months old now. And so she, she and I go outside when I'm with her. And the other day I was outside with her while we were outside walking. And all of a sudden she looked at me and she pointed up. She pointed up. And I was, you know, and I've been with her a lot. And I'm, I'm she's big. She didn't used to point up. And now she's pointing up. And I looked up and I saw the sunlight coming through the leaves, the crimson leaves of a maple tree. Hmm. And she looked at me and she was like, oh. her whole heart had opened and I got, I picked a crimson leaf and I handed it to her. And she looked at me with this absolute glow of delight in her eyes. 
So that that is already to see the sunlight through crimson maple leaves. That's something we're all born with. We're born ready to see this. We're born ready to receive the world like this. Those, those are the archetypes. So if I say to a person, I'm treating the fire within you, or you say, come in contact with, you know, the fire deities in the tantric tradition or the Shakti power, the fire that comes up from the earth, we're dealing with, yes, they're ideas in a way, but they're way more than ideas. They are the first formative capacities of our nervous system to take in the world. Right. Wow. You know, Laurie, I, I have to keep us on track a little bit with time, but I, I there's so much, there's so, so much we can talk about. And I, th I feel like there's an immediate connection into Kigo. You use that term to see the sunlight through crimson leaves. That sounds like a key. Is that a Kigo itself right there? Yes. Okay. Well, okay. that's Kigo, a season phrase. Yes, a season phrase. So before we dive into Kigo, you were going to guide us through a short practice from the alchemy of inner work. Yes. Can you do that? I would be delighted and be very good for me too. Okay. And the, the practice, you, you, we talked Friday and you said, what practice would you do? And I, and I feel strongly that if there's any practice for any of us, living through these strange times. It's a practice I call the pause practice. So the pause is um, basic to all traditions and it's so simple. And um, it's simply what it says. It's that we bring our conscious intention to interrupt our autonomic reactivity. And the, the Chinese speak about it in the alchemical text as reversing the handle of the stars. They say, alchemy begins when we reverse the handle of the stars. And the handle of the stars is the light of awareness, the starlight, can't really see it in my eyes on Zoom so much, but we all know that light in the eyes of my granddaughter of each other. I can feel that Shen from you, Ross. We can feel it on Zoom. But awareness, that light of awareness, it, its tendency, its natural tendency is to go out to be interested in what's happening out there, who's doing what, you know, what's happening on TV, what's happening down the street. And the Taoists and all the wise wisdom teachers of ancient times and current times, we begin to shift that by simply intervening, by saying, okay, I'm gonna take that awareness and reverse it. So the pause is that moment when I say, okay, I'm starting to go on hyperdrive. I'm gonna push the send button on this email way before I should. 
and I'm feeling that compulsive reactivity, activity. So in, so in those moments, I say, okay, let me reverse awareness and just stop for a moment and take three deep breaths. And in that moment, the whole world can change. Noticing what happens with your breathing, with your chi. And I have a little acronym that um, I like to use with this practice. Um, and the letters are R S V P, you know, which we know is respond a suvu play. It's like respond to the world differently. Mm -hmm. And the the letters stand, the R is for recognize that you're going on hyperdrive recognize that you've left connection to the body. And so whatever gives you those clues, we all have different, maybe that your breathing's tight, getting very hyped up. So recognize that that's happening. The S is for stop. Just stop. The V, I kind of cheated a little because the V is for reverse. <laughs> reverse. Reverse your awareness. Just notice, care about that inner world. Care about creating that space where spirit can enter in. And the P is come to presence. So RSVP are the sort of takeaways for the pause practice. And, you know, even though I'm not big on acronyms, I do feel that they're really useful to the sort of um, reptilian nervous system, the, the, the primitive parts of the nervous system, not the thinking mind, but those reactive primitive parts of us, they like it simple. They like it really like RSVP, what do I do? I'm, I'm getting hyped up here. So I recognize it's happening. I simply stop. And you can do this anywhere. You can do it in the middle of a Zoom. <laughs> Zoom interview. <laughs> we just did. Look at that. <laughs> Reverse awareness and compress it. Beautiful. Miracles happen in there. So that's in the book and lots of others. And I tried to make them all really simple and doable. That we can, you know, there. That's what's in the alchemy of inner work. How do I do this real time in my life? Yes.
it's really, it's very, very accessible for anybody. And they're all practices that I can see being done for a quick, a quick period of time. Or if you have more time, you can expand the practice and lengthen it. Thank you for that, Laurie. Thanks for making the space for it. Oh, of course. There's always got to be time for practice. Now, Kigo. And a reminder to everybody, we're, we're not going to have as much time for audience Q&A today, but please send in your, your questions into the Q&A tab, and we'll get to those shortly with Lori. Kigo, exploring the spiritual essence of acupuncture points through the changing seasons. Now, before you share uh, a point and, and some insights about, about that point from Kigo, can you tell our audience what is a Kigo? <laughs> yes, so Kigo means season word in Japanese. And um, it came to me, I was out running in the fall. And as I was out running, I was, I had just heard the word Kigo and I got that it was the season word. And I realized that the Kigo is the season word. It's said to be the window of the haiku. It's, it opens the door, you know, when you read a haiku, it's three lines, and yet a whole world opens in a haiku. And for the Japanese, it's the kigo, that, that it's a, they have a sets of season worlds, like you said, sunlight or season phrases, sunlight coming through crimson maple leaves, um, pumpkins with frost. Mm. So those season words open the haiku just the way a needle in a spirit point opens up the doorway to the soul. When I get the point in the needle exactly right, and I'm working on this very subtle spirit level, it's as if the whole world opens. And people will often, they'll say, oh, they take a deep breath. They say everything just shifted you know, the supreme rushing was, it was that kind of a point for me, that very first point, which released the anger so that it could transform into a different kind of flow in me. Changed my life. That's fantastic. And, you know, this, like all of your books, the the way that the, the poetry of it all is beautiful. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, Five Spirits and Kigo are both mainly aimed at people who are practitioners. Alchemy of Inner Work is, is an everyday person's kind of book, but despite the fact that I'm not a practitioner of, of acupuncture or Chinese medicine, I found them just captivating because of the how poetic it all is. So it's technical, but it's also artful and yeah, it opens that doorway. I'm really glad to hear that. And actually, I've been hearing that another, um, somebody I know who's not an acupuncturist, she's not a body worker. She said, I love this book. She said, um, she's reading the points and just looking them up to find the location because the location isn't in Kigo. We do have locations in the alchemy of inner work for points. Right. right. But they're easily accessible um, and as you said, to read them and then look them up, um, it can touch anyone. 
because these points belong to all of us. They don't belong to someone who has an acupuncture degree or someone who's got a PhD in Chinese medicine. The points are in all of our bodies. Mm -hmm. They're doorways into our souls. So um, they're meant in a sense, I think of them as indigenous to humans. I like how now you are also going to share with us from Kigo a particular point, and I believe it applies to the season that we're in that right now, autumn season. Is that right? Yeah, I thought I'd share an autumn season point that now again, not we you can't use needles unless you're trained, of course, and the use of needles is a very um it's a very developed skill. It takes a long time to learn many aspects of Chinese medicine. You cannot practice without a lot of training, but touching a point on your own body or the body of a, your kids or someone that you're close with, that's something that belongs to anybody. And in fact, you know, my Chinese students, when I taught at college, they, you know, they all said their grandmothers were always working with these points on them you know so now that i'm a grandmother i feel like i can tell everyone to use these points and every you so i thought um i'd like to share a point for the autumn season which is the season of the metal element so again metal as an archetype we know it has to do with you know what's under the earth what's Metal is heavy, it's yin, we dig it out from the ground. It actually, many of the metals come from comets and star, you know, star dust that's gone down under the earth. Think of the minerals under the whole world now is going down. That's the energetic of autumn. It's a, it's a deepening, it's a yin sequestering, um, distilling of perfection that's been produced through all the previous seasons. But there's also an element to the season that you know, there's a kind of a letting go and often a feeling of grief mm -hmm. because we are letting go of the expansion of summer and the growth potential. We're going into, in a certain way, a time of, um, sleep, a time of many things are dying back in service of, I always say one of the things about metal is it's, di it's dying, but it's about the legacy that gets left. But in order for that legacy to get left, we need to take care of the metal. We need to make space for that deep sleep. So the point that, um, I want to share at this time because I think a lot of people do start feeling a little sense of more depression. People talk about light deprivation, um, tendency for the immune system to get challenged. Um, and especially this year, I think there's a feeling of like there's been some freedom over the warmer months and people are feeling like, oh, we may get, there may be quarantine again, we may be enclosed again. So this is a point that can support us with that. And it's, um, the point is, the number of the point when we 
give these points in Chinese medicine. They have numbers. Um, so this point is, it's the second point on the long meridian. And you know, this is a season where our lungs can be challenged because the lungs are part of the metal elements. So the lungs are vulnerable now. We need to take care of, stay a little warmer, um, keep covered, take all those good immune boosting herbs and use your qigong, make sure to breathe enough now. But this point, um, is another point that you can use this season to take care of your immune system, but also to take care of your spirit. So it's lung Tu, and the, the Chinese name is Yun Men, which means cloud gate. Cloud gate. Cloud gate. So this, so in a sense, that's already the Kigo of the point. Okay, right. Cloud gate, because even right now, as I'm talking to you, Ross, outside my window, there are these silver rushing clouds, and they come and they cover everything, and it gets dark. It's getting right. light in here is shifting. And then all of a sudden, the wind comes, and the clouds, they sort of raggedy tear open, and this golden light comes. It's happening right now. You might, I have the curtains drawn so you can't, but so that gate that we all know, you know, it's a cloudy gray day and you're feeling a little depressed and then all of a sudden the wind comes in that ragged opening and here comes the sun. You can see it coming through the curtain right there. Yes. That's the cloud gate. Okay. And it's very important to this season because it opens us to this light and illumination that is implicit in the darkness as well, in the clouds and in the going down, there's also light down there. And there's, there's illumination to the season as well as a kind of darkening. So the, um, actually for each of these points, I wrote, a, I wrote a haiku. That was what came to me. I was like, I'm gonna write a spirit point book and I'm gonna honor every point with a haiku. I love that. So for Cloud Gate, you and men in, in Kigo, the haiku is um, parting now, the clouds reveal their luminous wings, smoke-like ghosts spiral into light. So that's what's happening now. It's like there's this movement, there's this spiraling also of, of the ghosts of ancestors. It's a time, you know, where, where the veil between the worlds gets thin, life and death and transformation. This point allows us to open to the mystery of the time. So it is located, and I'm going to be, it's located, for those of you who are watching on video, you can see it's at the outer edge of the bone called the clavicle, your shoulder bone, and you drop down at the outer edge of that clavicle, and there's actually a depression between the shoulder and the collarbone. Right, I feel it, okay. Lovely little dip. And if you press into that dip, it's often a little bit tender. You wanna be gentle with it. But that dip right there 
is where the point lies. And even right now, you can follow with me and just place your fingers there and take a deep breath and open into the point. So the indications in the text, they say it's for fullness of the chest, for coughs, okay? So you can think of it in very practical ways. But when we think fullness of the chest, we're also thinking of feelings of grief, like, like letting the tears come, not just out of sadness, but almost like the tears of appreciation of the moment. That's one of the beautiful spirit point attributes of Cloud Gate is it brings us in touch with the passage of time and the preciousness of time. So it is an immune point. It will definitely support your immune system to activate this point. If you have the feelings of, you know, a first cold coming, you can use it that way and you can apply an essential oil. My favorite oil for that point for immunity is called Raven Sarah. And I talk about it in the book. It's an incredible aromatic, a little like eucalyptus and applying Raven Sarah to that point will support your health and your robustness and your resilience in this time. But that's not the whole story. That's the sort of outer level of the point. But the deep inner meaning of this point is that it will open up a space in the clouds so that you can get in touch with your own spirit. And so when you're working with it that way, you wanna be just very gentle, almost like meditating on breathing into the point itself. And if you do that, you can, the, the, this point actually opens into the back when you needle it or when you can really get it to open. It opens into a point in the back, which is the, called the doorway to the soul, the doorway to the body soul. So cloud gate opens us both to the illumination of the sunlight, but also the deeper illumination of the body being able to listen deeply to my own soul, finding that window, that doorway, that gateway to the self. That's really beautiful. These, these points are, are amazing. And as you just described, the, the, the layers as you go inward and get subtler and subtler with it. Exactly, it's, it is a body point. It does have practical use for immunity for even if you have a cough, if you have, you feel like you've been exposed to um, cold or whatever, you use a raven sour eucalyptus on that point and it works, <laughs> it works. You know, I've been doing this for years and um, it's a powerful, but then it also has deeper, what we call nadon or inner alchemical uses and it depends on your intention it depends on your focus and um kigo again will bring you into those deeper points but i do also speak about its other purposes right so that just for everybody that's just a little glimpse into kigo um laurie's book that came out in september and of course that's also available at banyan now 
Um, we're going a little bit over time because uh, we had a couple technical glitches. So we'll get, we, we don't have a ton of audience questions, but we'll, we'll get to a couple right now. So um, Barbara says, thanks, Lori, uh, for the beautiful oak and acorn analogy. And she wonders if you can recommend a practitioner in the Vancouver area. Yes. Aha. Uh -huh. Can. Fabulous <laughs> people in Vancouver. And what I would suggest Barbara it is. Uh, Barbro, it says. Barbro. That's a typo. Jacob's curating the questions. It says Barbro. Okay. Um, so this is perfect because I actually did want to mention our website, a new possibility.com. Yes. And on a new possibility, just go to our website and there's a practitioner's um, directory on the website. And you don't have to be a member of the, of the, we have an inner healing circle membership, which I want to invite everyone to, where you can engage in the work and be in our monthly meetups and learn much more. But you don't need to do that to get um, referrals. And so the directory is, you just, you'll see it right there, practitioner's directory. Um, and there, in there, we have practitioners in the Vancouver area. Um, I think at least two, and I can say everyone in that directory has studied with me extensively. They're curated. They're not just people who sign in. They're people who have really studied with us, who do this work, and who Benjamin and I, um, from the bottom of our hearts, stand behind and recommend. So a newpossibility.com practitioner's directory, if you have any problem finding it, just um, contact us and there's a contact on the site. Yeah, and it's really a wonderful site. I, I had a chance to look around a bit. It's it's a whole online community and goes beyond just that as well. Um, for practitioners and people looking for practitioners, there's different online courses. There's all kinds of content. There's an app you can get on your phone. <laughs> it's really fun to have the app. Yeah. <laughs> I downloaded it when I was doing, when I was leading up to this. It's really great. There's Good. a messenger yeah. function. Benjamin and I were sending each other messages. <laughs> yes, and we'd love to have people join and check us out. Um, the website is a new possibility, one word. Good, good point, because someone just typed in the chat, Angela, she, she typed in newpossibility.com. You have to put the A in front, Angela. It's a newpossibility.com. And one of our goals, one of our stated um, goals of the site is to bring together all the incredible practitioners who work with us and the patient and patients, people who are looking to learn more about this healing. And we have our practitioners are putting up courses and we've got great courses on all kinds of the spirits and people are going to be posting courses on Sufi whirling oh. and essential oils and anything alchemical and, and we're growing so please join us. That's yeah. fantastic and I see Jacob's just typed in the link on, on the chat there. So I think we've got time for one more question here and there's a good question from Sabina saying for people living close to the equator, how does the lack of distinctive seasons influence one's health? And what can they do to look after spirit and physical health? Beautiful, yes. Well, actually one of the people on our team, 
um, Luis Morales, who's our designer and web, he handles all our Instagram and he's our, we love Luis and he lives in Colombia. So oh. um, basically very close to the equator. And we've been in real conversation with Luis about this very topic because, and people also that I work with in Southern California. And the truth is that the five elements describe the movement of chi through all of carbon-based life. The seasons are one aspect of that movement, but if you really begin to look at the elements, you'll see that the energetics of the elements are everywhere. You know, so we can look at them in the these latitudes where we have seasons. Again, they they work with them in Australia as well, only, you know, they're moving a little differently, but they're still there. And on the equator too, you're gonna, what you're looking at is the cycles of life. Mm -hmm. So if you're living close to the equator, you just begin to tune into how do those cycles, they may be micro cycles, um, or they may be happening in a project that you're working with water being the inception, wood being the sprouting, fire being the blossoming, earth being the nourishing, and metal being the letting go. It happens everywhere on the planet, everywhere. As I said, carbon-based life, I don't see it in silicon-based life yet on the computer, but I have a feeling if I look closely enough, I might discover the five elements there too. <laughs> yeah. So I did see some, I think Barbara said she didn't see a practitioner yet. Somebody, uh, Janice said, I cannot find the practitioner listing on the website. So where was it again? They go to a newpossibility.com. Possibility.com. And, um, you know. I've got the website right here. So I'm just going to do a menu. So go into, um, Community? Oh, you know what it is actually, Ross, I'm sorry. I, my bad, you do have to become an explorer. All right, okay. Sorry about that, I'm really sorry. So you, there's only one, there's, you have to, to access this network that we've actually developed, you do have to give us your email address and name. That's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, so I did that too. I joined as an explorer and it's as really easy. So Janice, if you go to the website, click on the menu and then go to community, and then you choose a plan. There's there's Explorer, which is the free version, or if you want to get more in depth, you can get one of the other memberships that you pay for. And once you join there, then you can get access to the practitioner list. Yes. Oh, hey, I'm glad they asked that. And that was my mistake. Actually, the network, we've been up and running about six months, but I still, still kind of forget some of those glitches. Yeah but you can join, just give us your name and email, and then you have access to, there's tons actually of information and some videos you can watch. I think the pause practice is even up there, as yeah. well as the directory and um, the invitation to join and become more deeply involved if you choose to and would like to. Yeah, yeah. Laurie, uh, final question. What what are you focusing on now? What's what's next for you? Do you have plans for another book or what's what's on in the works? What's next for us is um, there is another book 
it's huh. you know these books take me 10 years though but it's percolating in the underworld and it's it's really looking deeply at the body soul so the much maligned yin aspect of spirit which is um i speak about the pose soul in five spirits and i've been doing already years of research into how the body soul how our bodies became maligned how our bodies have rather than being seen as vehicles of the divine in the material world so i'm working with that and um but but much more presently we are developing lots and lots of teaching it's really exciting to be putting up these videos on the site that are both for practitioners but also lots of visuals for um non-professionals for whatever you whatever you are and whatever you do out there to be able to do alchemy to do inner work so we're working with that i now we now have a videographer who's on our team and it's been a lot of fun learning how to work with the camera and we are also um working to get our alchemical healing mentorship uh will which we've always taught in person on the west coast and the east coast will be a virtual offering probably 80 percent virtual and the mentorship program is uh, for practitioners, but also for people who want to do a very in-depth dive into healing. So stay tuned and join our mailing list, become an explorer or an inner healing circle member to keep stay apprised of what's doing there. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And the website again for everybody is a new possibility dot com you can learn more about Lori and her husband benjamin all of the great work that they're doing and um Lori deshar thank you so much again for joining thank us today you. everybody so at banyan books and um thanks to our amazing banyan community all over the world again if you need any more info about us banyan.com b-a-n-y-e-n.com and you can join us for events and uh the next podcast Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure, really an honor and a pleasure. Thanks so much, Ross. It was great talking to you. Likewise, Lori. All the best. You have been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound.